0: Uncertainty continues to loom over the economy. Today we talk to the New Hampshire president for Bank of America about what businesses can do to safeguard against an economic downturn and how one of New Hampshire's largest banks works with businesses to help them grow.
1: I'm Matt Murray, editor of Business NH Magazine, and I'm Nathan Carroll, founder and president of Cardinal Consulting. And welcome to BizCast NH.
0: Matt, happy Valentine's Day. Well, happy Valentine's Day. I didn't get you anything, and I apologize. Uh, That's okay. Okay. Then then you and my wife and I are all in (laughs) sync. She didn't get you anything either. She is. I love her. She's very frugal. She's like they just pump up all the the, the prices. She's like I don't want anything for Valentine's Day. Get most. it fifty
1: percent off the day after.
0: Right. <laughs> Tell her to go tomorrow and get you those chocolates that you like. I thought ahead of time. I got something you know uh, you know good this year. I think that okay. she'll like. You know, it's a little experience. Uh, so she's not listening in today. No. So I can say you no. know I I ordered it's a. a, a painting kit you do together and it comes with
1: instructions and it's two lovebirds so you have to do it with her yes so this will be
0: after we kick the kids to bed
1: (laughs) you're gonna paint together we're gonna paint together because we can't go out out and do that you know you
0: can't go to the paint and booze place anymore oh man i can't wait to
1: go back to the paint i know yeah hey speaking of which um speaking of your lovely wife um how did you guys meet how long have you been married uh, we have been
0: married for a quarter of a century. <gasps> yeah. don't say it like that. I know. Well, you I, I, you I'm sound proud like you. of that. You know? Okay,
1: all right. It's pride. It's not, pride. Not yeah. E- no, we <laughs> got we got
0: married in '96. We were we've been together since uh, we started off as friends freshman year in college. Mm-hmm. So I met her in English class. So once again, my love of the written word came uh, through for me.
1: Yeah. Do you write her poems and stuff?
0: I did. I, I was very cheesy. I bet you were. You still yeah. are. A wooed. I mean, what oh, I mean yeah. is, <laughs> how about you?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, my wife and I have been married just over seven years. And I met her, let's see. It's it, So the location that I met her in was actually her sister's backyard. Oh. Um, because I, her, her brother-in-law, my now brother-in-law was my boss. When I worked for the Appalachian mountain club for a time, I was doing some seasonal work with them when I first came up here and he invited me to their new house and it was a barbecue and, and there was going to be all these people there. And I got there and it was just his family. Ah. So I, 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 so my wife says that she saw me coming from across the yard and she said, who's that guy that looks like a pirate. <laughs> Did you and then, an then she, follow, she followed up with, oh, he's cute. Well, I had like, I had long hair then. So I had my hair uh, pulled back with this funky thing. And um, I'm yeah, i like, did so, you have a parrot? Um, like, what's going on? I was, on I guess I was a good looking, you know, uh, pirate and it worked because now almost 8 years later and two children later and um, we're both still alive so there it is <laughs> and and in love not just alive very nice jeez. i was going to say jeez yeah. i know i know good thing she's not listening i was going right? to say you be in trouble <laughs> <laughs> well hey um let's let's get off of this train we get on a lot of trains here at Bizcast and H and let's get on to the real train for today As president of Bank of America New Hampshire, Ken Sheldon serves as Bank of America's local enterprise leader across New Hampshire. Ken works across the region to connect Bank of America's business lines to deliver integrated financial services to individuals, families, and businesses. Ken has been with Bank of America and its predecessors since 1990. He has more than 35 years of experience in the financial service industry. Ken is active in community, currently serving as an executive board member of the New Hampshire Bankers Association, an executive board member of the New Hampshire Business and Industry Association, and board chair for Waypoint. He has also served on the boards of the Boys and Girls Club of Greater Nashua, the Friends of the Children's Hospital at Dartmouth, and the NH Business Committee for the Arts. Ken's formal education includes a BS in finance and math from Babson College and an MBA from Bentley College. Ken Sheldon, it's great to have you. And um, before we get too far in, I need to remind our listeners that you are not the Ken Sheldon, aka Fred Marple from Frostheave. So we're just going to take that and leave that right over here. Just clear it up. But what we really want to get into is, um, is not only about you, but the, the Bank of America presence here in New Hampshire. Um, and so would love to hear from you, you know, that that elevator pitch, as it were, that you give when you're talking about the bank and, and what you're doing here in New Hampshire.
2: Great. Thanks, Nathan. It's it's great to be here with you and Matt today. Um, you know, Bank of America is a longstanding presence here in New Hampshire. We uh, date back to 1851 uh, with the old Indian Head Bank and then uh, became Fleet and then mm. Bank of America back in about 2004. Um, I'm honored to be the uh, market president for Bank of America here. I've had this role since uh, about 11 years ago. And I got to point out, Matt was my first interview back uh, 11 years ago and did a phenomenal job and... uh, Really appreciate his connectivity to the business community here in
0: in New Hampshire. Absolutely. Well, thank you. It's a, it's a mutual admiration society. So, <laughs>
1: um,
0: and, and Ken, I mean, as you know, the leader of one of the state's largest banks, you have a front row seat to the economy. You're seeing all these sectors and what their needs are and such. And I know, you know, Bank of America, you have access to all these economists as well. Can you talk a bit about you know what um, are the, the economic trends that Bank of America is keeping a close eye on that could be impacting your customers moving forward this year?
2: Interesting question. I, I think uh, just to point out that we work with clients across the spectrum. So you think of our consumer division, you think of our Merrill Lynch and private bank divisions with wealth management, and you think about the commercial and the business sector uh, that we work with. So we hear from a lot of these different sectors around what's going on in the economy, what are their challenges, how they deal with those challenges. And the big economic trends are, as you would expect, driven around the pandemic. The ripple effects from that pandemic have been much broader and much more long-lasting, I think, than anybody had anticipated. So, the health part of it is obviously a major concern. Um, keeping your employees safe is a major concern. People have changed the way they do business in order to keep their employees safe, and we've been we've been part of that trend. The more recent trends that we're seeing that are kind of the outer ripples of what's going on is the inflation that we're seeing in the economy now in supply chain problems, and then the workforce. So we've seen a fair amount of occupational burnout. You've seen some, uh, they call it the great resignation. I'm not sure if it's a permanent situation or temporary, but um, but a lot of our um, businesses that we work with are facing that today. So those are the major economic trends. How you work with them, work around them, Different companies, different people have different strategies to do that, and so we're um, we're hearing a lot of those. We can get into a little bit more detail about some of those things um, later on in this uh, discussion.
1: Yeah, yeah, neat. I um, I heard it recently called not the great uh, resignation, but the great sabbatical, <laughs> which means that they're they're coming back, but you know. It's I'll going to be a like. while. We'll see. Um, so tell me this, though. So how does Bank of America, it's a bank with a, nas- a nationwide presence, integrate into and serve New Hampshire communities? Okay, that's a good
2: point. I mean, you got to do it through your people, yeah. right? So fortunately, the bank um, inspires us to do that along the way. So mm-hmm. they give you uh, so many hours a month to volunteer, paid for by the bank. Uh, we have a number of internal networks uh, that try to promote you know, diversity and inclusion, uh, involvement in different areas. So you might have our military service and assistance group, you might have our LGBTQ plus group, you might have an iGen uh, intergenerational group. So th- these are some of the ways that we work with our community. We really encourage volunteerism. So um, in the past, I don't know, since I've been uh, market president here, we put in an average of 4,000 hours a year amongst our 300 plus employees. So that's pretty good engagement. Uh, they serve on boards, they're volunteering at the food bank, soup kitchens, local church, kids' sports teams, all kinds of things that uh, that, that they're engaged in the community and we're encouraging that. Uh, so there are a lot of things at the individual level. At the corporate level, oftentimes, um, it's more about the dollars, right? How much can we support a particular organization? So we go through a couple of grant cycles. Uh, in 2021 alone, we were about three quarters of a million dollars uh, across the the state to different organizations. You think of uh, Waypoint and mm-hmm. the Hampshire Food Bank and the Boys and Girls Clubs and Marguerite's Place and Upper Room and things like that where we uh, year after year after year, uh, have been consistently supporting these organizations, so they can count on us and rely on that support as they prepare their budgets and serve the constituencies that they ser- that they serve.
0: Speaking of that, um, you know. I- I want to talk about what what has been the level of need that you've been seeing coming through in terms of requests from nonprofits. Um, you know, the, it's nonprofits have made, played such a major role in getting uh, us through the pandemic, um, and continue to you know be an important resource for for the state, and yet. Uh, the amount of resources available to them have been on the decline. Uh, and certainly, you know, as small businesses got hit hard, they may not have had m- as much to give. And so I think nonprofits, you know, are looking at who are the larger organizations and leaning on them more. So, what does that look like for Bank of America? And how have you handled those increase perhaps in requests and go about selecting how and when to support?
2: Yeah. So again, fortunately, we've been consistent in our contributions. Actually, we've increased them in 20 and 21 in order to help um, companies and people deal with the pandemic. We have seen some increased homelessness. The housing issue is, is cropped up. So we've tried to address some of that uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, we've had specific funding to help that. So we've helped um, a initiative by the New Hampshire Community Loan Fund in coordination with NAACP to provide business, uh, small businesses that are minority-owned uh, with additional funding and capacity building and strategic planning and some of those things. So that,
1: that, is, that is one area that we've really um, uh, focused on. That's amazing. Um, We're actually going to have a conversation in in an upcoming episode about uh, just that with one of those leaders. So uh, that's a a nice little segue for folks to keep tuning in. Um, You uh, do some work, I think, across borders of states here in the region. Um, And maybe this is part of that, the corporate um, leading corporate social responsibility. And I'm curious um, what that entails and what the outcomes are that may affect clients or communities, as it were so it's a
2: it's a very broad topic there's a <laughs> lot of stuff going on in that universe, and for business owners out there uh you need to be thinking about how what your approach is going to be strategically um there's going to be a lot of activity around climate change um, I think you know we talk about diversity and inclusion I think that's part of the mm-hmm. Um, that governance factor. So we we break it down as many companies are now environmental, social, and governance. And there are so many um, you know different rails that we can go off on. But I'll just say that uh, for Bank of America, we've committed uh, 1.25 billion dollars over the next five years. Actually, one year into it now, and that money. Is geared toward a number of different initiatives in that space that you asked about. So we're trying um, our, our best. We get a lot of applications in and thinking about um, uh, you know from the diversity and inclusion standpoint. You know what does that mean for a company? What does it mean for our community? What does it mean for the success of future business? Um, there are uh, a number of different strategies around that topic. Um, but I think they're essential to how your employee workforce, how you're going to be able to attract the most talent, retain the most talent, and, and, and have that be a focus for making people comfortable working in, in the environment that you create. I think around in, uh, environmental, um, we were the pioneers in green bonds. Uh, we just issued fairly recently a, a $2 billion uh, green bond around sustainability. Uh, we've done work with a number of large corporates uh, around um, their efforts and how do how do they fund that? It's all impact driven. What are the measurements? How do you um, measure those outcomes that you want to measure? Whether it's you know, it could be um, something like prison recidivism, or it could be you know less greenhouse gases. It could be um, you know uh, lowering the uh, or increasing the number of electric vehicles that you're using it could be a number of different things um, all that have these measurements and your interest rate comes down if you comply with those measurements and it goes up if you if you don't so there's some real financial incentives built into these in order to help the environment and the social part i think we've talked a little bit about but there's a lot of different things that business owners need to be thinking about there that, um, that are becoming or have become expectations in the working world. And, uh, and again, probably a little bit too deep of a conversation for this day, but <laughs> well, I think- it's uh, just another I, episode, I, right? I, I know, I think there's a lot there to talk about for sure. Awesome, and awesome.
0: And for listeners who may not be as familiar with them, what is a green bond? So it's the creation of a funding
2: mechanism that is sold into the general public, so you could say in this case it was a $2 billion green bond, the intent was um, uh, sustainability uh, of the of the planet, right? And they created measurements around, in that case it was around uh, greenhouse gases, in getting to net zero by a certain date, and there were benchmarks uh, that were measured for that. And again, it's um, there are incentives built into it that are to the benefit of that business and uh, to the benefit of our environment and the community through the mechanisms that were intended for that um, for that bond there's a number of different variations to it, some of them more people focused others more environment focused but there um, it 's an interesting development in the world of finance tend to be much larger you know you, i don 't know of any New Hampshire company that would be um, you know, meet those minimums because typically you're seeing kind of half a billion dollars as, uh, as being the larger. But I think for the world in general, pretty great concept and something that we'll, we'll see more of going forward. Other banks have been jump, jumping on board with that as well. We'll be right back with Ken Sheldon.
0: McLean Middleton is a full-service law firm with over 100 attorneys and 25 paralegals throughout its five offices in Manchester, Concord, and Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and Woburn and Boston, Massachusetts. For over 100 years, they've been providing exceptional legal services to businesses, individuals, and nonprofit organizations across the region. Visit McLean.com for a complete list of practice areas and attorneys.
1: We're back with Ken Sheldon, New Hampshire president of Bank of America. So
0: you recently wrote an article for Business New Hampshire magazine about what businesses can do to safeguard against a downturn. So a two-part question here. One, um, what, uh, even though there's no crystal ball, what is the bank forecasting for 2022 in terms of the economy? And if we do head into a downturn, what should businesses be doing now to help prepare for that?
2: Our economists and we've got some of the best researchers in the world and, and uh, continually recognized for that um, are not predicting a, a downturn, what you'd call an economic downturn for, for 2022 or even into early 23. What we're talking about is kind of a normalization. So we're experiencing a, an elevated um, GDP growth mm-hmm. this, uh, in 21. It'll slow down a little bit in 22 and a little bit more in 23. So we're looking at say GDP growth of about 3.6 to 3.8% in 2022, and back down to low twos, 2% in 2023. So that's not bad, that's not an economic downturn, and that's gonna be achieved through some of the mechanisms that we're talking about now. The, um, The central banks starting to pull back on their balance sheets and raising interest rates. So those, they have those two, the Fed has those two mechanisms in hand in order to push um, or slow down the economy. In that way, they're hoping, no promises, but they're hoping that's going to slow down the inflation uh, factors. But that's what we're seeing right now is uh, the Fed has come out and said they're going to be raising rates in March. Our folks and our research are i uh, thinking that it's going to be a little bit more dramatic than the market is right now in terms of raising interest rates. So we're calling for seven rate hikes this year. I think the market is calling for between four and five. And then 2023, we're seeing four more. So that the, um, the target rate, which has been between zero and a quarter percent over the past five or six years, uh, is going... It, it, we're seeing it rising to 275 to 3%, okay? That's not all built into the yield curve right now, but it's something that business owners should be thinking about is, okay, where is their debt structure? How much are they paying in interest? And can they withstand a rising interest rate environment? Consumers, uh, not quite as much of an impact because you know, to the extent it's credit card debt and they already have a fixed rate mortgage, they're not going to be impacted as much. Home buyers, probably seeing a little bit higher interest rates, not seeing it yet built in. But I'd say by 23, you're going to start to see much, I say much higher. Historically speaking, still
0: very good rates, Mm -hmm. but higher than where we are today. And are there steps that small businesses in particular should be taking to make sure that they can accommodate a slowdown? Absolutely. And uh, most
2: Business owners that I talk to are already thinking that. They're already, th- they're, they think about those things all along. Okay, what's my what's my backup plan, right? Here's where I want to go. Here's how aggressive I want to be. Here are the new markets I want to get into. Here's the new equipment I'd like to buy. Here's the expansion of my facility to accommodate demand. But they're always thinking in the back of their mind, okay, what if, in analyzing that and saying, okay, you know, if this happens, what's my next step? How do I work that? So that's the biggest thing: is, is analyzing and understanding their short and long-term goals, having a, a, a thought process around if we start to see a slide in demand, what do we do? And then, um, I think you know, some business owners do it all on their own; others rely on outside consultants. Uh, I don't think enough of them necessarily. And this may just be my perception, is relying on their banker, whoever their banker is, especially in the small business world. Where I would say that's true. Banker is essentially free to them, Mm -hmm. and they do have a broad um, spectrum of of opinions and experience that they see. So, you know, talk to your banker. Say, okay, you know, what can we what can we expect? Where is my level of support if things turn down? What's my debt capacity? You know, what are some of the um, uh, cost containment measures that others are doing, especially in the case of a rising wage environment? What are other costs that I can control? And so that, that's
1: a good conversation to have with your with your banker. I think that's a really, really great tip because people simply don't talk to their banker or even think really, uh, you know, they if they don't, you know, if they just have their accounts there and they don't necessarily have a, a relationship with their commercial banker, then why would you go to them but start that relationship? Because they're a wealth of information um, and and can assist you, you know, in, in more ways than you probably know. Um, to that end, banks often partner with um, nonprofit financial partners in states, um, things like that to bring, and you kind of alluded to CDFA earlier, um, who are some of Bank of America's partners in state? And so if I'm a small business owner and I go to a branch, um who can you partner with to, to sort of help me in my, say, unique financial situation? It's a good
2: question. I, you know, I think that we'll try to talk with them first, right? And to the extent that they need more resources, SBA is, is terrific. SCORE, your local SCORE chapter, is is very helpful. There are um, retired business owners there mm-hmm. that can really give you some of their wisdom, um, CDFI, uh, New Hampshire Community Loan Fund. I think those are the primary ones. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a couple of you know business brokers that we've talked to. If somebody's thinking about okay, you know four or five years from now, I'm going to be on this path to sell or find a succession plan. You know, sometimes the business broker can give you ideas
1: around okay, what do we, how do we set ourselves up best to achieve what we want to achieve full service resource connecting folks in community. That's awesome. Um, Speaking of community, I want to learn a little bit about you before we have to wrap up in a while here. But um, you've been in New Hampshire since 1988. Um, Did New Hampshire choose you or did you choose New Hampshire? How did that happen? Yeah, like a lot of people up here. I grew up in Massachusetts. (laughs) Uh huh. Well,
2: yours truly as well. So I'm with you. Yeah. (laughs) So I started my banking career in Northern Mass. Mm -hmm. And Uh, New Hampshire was a a growth market at the time, and so the bank I was working for uh, expanded and wanted to set a footprint in New Hampshire. Uh, The recession of 91, 92 came along, um, and I took that opportunity to move over to Fleet Bank at the time in uh, in Nashua. I was uh, living in Amherst, so that worked out quite well. and had a had a great run uh there working mostly with businesses did a little bit of real estate stuff early on um and then have uh have enjoyed this this ride in fact today as we speak my uh, 32nd year anniversary is today Ta-da. Ta-da.
1: Ta-da! we didn't plan that one but it worked <laughs> out very nicely congratulations that's awesome and thanks for everything you're doing here in state
0: so when you aren't, you know, running one of the state's largest banks, <laughs> um, you know, when you have some actual downtime, what do you do? What would people be surprised to learn about you?
2: Oh, boy. Um, so really enjoy, uh, during the summers, boating, um, you know, lake activities. Uh, we're up on, on Newfound Lake. It's, a, uh, it's just a wonderful, clean lake that we're trying to keep quiet maybe this wasn't the opportunity to <laughs> yeah, keep that quiet right right um, right yeah but I, I enjoy that kind of yeah, stuff yeah you said
1: massive basic, right <laughs> yeah right right. <laughs> it is gorgeous there though
0: i can see why you enjoy it yeah
2: yeah so we've been uh, going up there since my family was young and uh uh it, it's been great um i actually have a a couple of pinball machines um no way. yeah i just when i was in college i had one in my dorm room and actually <laughs> helped pay for my schooling <laughs> oh, my and so i've uh you're a pinball
0: wizard i love it, it. Uh, so what's your you high score you beat me to it you beat me to it <laughs>
2: awesome uh, it's uh you know in these uh inflated games it was like 38 million or something so wow but you know it, it's funny i like the old the old machines i'm not as much in the new current video game i'm with you environment but uh but the old pinball machines, uh, uh, I'm a big fan of. Um, and then during the winter months, you know, it's I'm a huge sports fan, so I'm I'm watching the Bruins, Celtics. Um, when when the Red Sox come around, um, I'm hoping that they actually have spring training this <laughs> year. <'cause laughs> There's that. I, I would really like to go down and see a, a spring training game. Um, and then the Patriots. So yeah. So it's got its priorities. That's, that's what I do to
1: stay busy. New England priorities, awesome. Um, let's wrap with this. Can you give you? You obviously have a, a huge breadth of experience. Have have dealt with a number of you know obviously small businesses and, and types of businesses around around the region. Um, what is the piece of advice that you would give to a small business owner that's seeking to grow from your perspective? So I think as a um,
2: Small businesses are facing a a lot of challenges, right? And this is always the case. And that's why I have ultimate respect for any entrepreneur that is trying to run a business today. The curveballs that are thrown at them um, have become different over the last 24 months. Uh, And so they need to contend with those. This is the first time in my career that I have seen such a, a supply chain Challenge, right? We've always had this kind of just-in-time. All these books written about just-in-time inventory, and that has been flipped on its head to where the right now it's just-in-case inventory. You know, we we need it in the warehouse in order to make the product. So that's a challenge. The employment challenge, the transportation challenge of finding drivers, uh, CDL drivers. Um, you know, all of these are creating. Uh, more headwinds than I think most business owners felt like they were going to experience when when they started going into this. However, the successful entrepreneurs that I've worked with have focused on good employees, having the right people on the bus. They have focused on, you know, delivering for clients, service quality, and then Being flexible, you got to be nimble. I mean, we've looked at, you know, we we got on this journey with digital, right, and moving toward digital, probably started uh, 10, 11 years ago. And we've put a lot of money into it over the years. And we're saying, okay, you know, another five years, it will be there, right? Well, the pandemic caused that to happen in a two year span, right? It caused everybody to try to go digital, mobile check deposits, you know mortgage, digital mortgage experiences. Um, you know, people just focused on being having the delivery on a mobile phone or on their home computer. And the remoteness of that has driven that even further. So the fact that we had built the platform and we were ready for it is extremely helpful. But it's that, uh, that nimbleness, that ability to change direction um, based on whether it's a crisis or some change in the economy or change in the environment or whatever it might be, uh, is, is critical. So, so for that business owner to retain that flexibility and that nimbleness um, to, to move to where the customers are moving and move to where the product is going is, I think,
1: key and essential to their success. Excellent advice. Be nimble, be flexible. Ken Sheldon, thank you so much for being nimble and flexible here at BizCast NH. Uh, Ken Sheldon is the New Hampshire president of Bank of America. Thanks again for joining us. My pleasure. Great to
2: be
0: here. And now the buzz with Matt Mowry. Well, if you turn on the news anytime, you are going to see lots of stories, unfortunately, about violence in our cities. But here's some good news. A recent study released by CCTV Camera World ranked the 100 safest cities in America and five New Hampshire communities made the cut. Coming in at number 51 was Alsted, followed by Kingston at 83, Stratford at 85, Springfield at 94, and rounding out the list at number 100 is Danville. And that's your buzz.
1: Welcome back to the Cardinal Corner. I'm Nathan Carroll. I'm a genuinely curious guy, and I love root cause analysis. So in hearing about supply chain issues over the past couple of years, I was curious. How does the cost of a shipping container increase over 500%? By the way, thanks to optimoroot.com for helping to break this down for us. It's essentially supply and demand, but let's get into details, right? Number one, global shipping container shortage. Basically, the shipping containers that China needed to get goods to market were stuck in the region. Read into that one. Orders for new containers had been canceled early in the pandemic. Number two, the Suez Canal incident. Do we remember this one? You remember March uh, of 2021 when the Ever Given got stuck in the Suez Canal, blocking the canal for weeks and, you know, asking, having people wondering and asking why that even happened. But regardless, that incident cost between $2 and $4 billion in international trade. So your price, you feel your price going up? I think you do. Number three, COVID delays. You don't say. We've all experienced that. Guangdong, China handles 24% of China's total exports. That'll teach you not to put all your eggs in one basket. We saw a bit of that here, too, in the U.S., with U.S. ports having major backups combined with the trucking issue, right? One major issue causes a trickle-down effect in the supply chain, a global giant that is simply not that nimble. Thanks for joining me in the Cardinal Corner, offering instantaneous delivery of ideas and solutions. Find more at our website, cardinalconsultingnh.com, or on social at cardinalconsultingnh. Thank you for joining us
0: today. If you enjoyed the stories and information you heard in today's podcast, find more by subscribing to Business NH Magazine or visiting businessnhmagazine.com.
1: I'm Matt Maury, And I'm Nathan Carroll. BizCast NH is a joint production of Business NH Magazine and Cardinal Consulting. Listen to us anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.